I think in the beginning of all of our uh, sort of new normal, in the midst of this time of pandemic, that first week, I don't know about you, but I feel like I spent most of it just exhausted. And which is an interesting sort of thing because my normal work hours, like I'm sure many of yours, were drastically changed and in a lot of ways reduced. I mean, I'm used to you know, 7 a.m. mass and activity all day long between the parish and the school into meetings and appointments at night and not getting home until later at night and then getting up, rinsing, washing, and repeating. You know, I mean, it's just kind of the way that things happen and you keep busy. I do get a day away a week just to kind of catch up on sleep. But, you know, it's a busy, busy schedule. And that's what I'm used to. And really, I mean, things tend to work out. Well, was it now two and a half weeks ago when all this really started to hit? Even though that work schedule wasn't the same. Obviously, mass moved to 9 a.m. And appointments drastically reduced. The school, children learning from home with our virtual classroom setup and not that many meetings and appointments. So less things going on and yet I was exhausted a lot of the time. And as I've discussed with some other people, it's, you know, I think coming out of the routine, we've never been through anything like this before. Anyone, you know, in living memory hasn't experienced something like this. I mean, we can talk about the Spanish flu epidemic of, what, 1918 to 1920, but anyone who's alive today may have been alive at that time, but we're talking about when they were newly born or at most, you know, a year, two, three, four, five years old, but not old enough to know what it was all exactly like. And so we're having to figure out how to just go about our day-to-day tasks. And I think it's when we don't know and don't have a whole lot to compare what we're going through right now to, that it makes things really difficult. We don't know what's coming next. We have to you know, take all of these things in and I don't want to say make it up as we go, but we're having to do a lot of decision-making on the spot and coming up with the new routine and making the new normal. I don't know about you, but I feel a little bit better in it now. I mean, we're kind of getting into a routine. But at first, I was tough because we'd never experienced this before. Now, look at the gospel. I think it's easy in some ways, you know, to look at the Jews, to look at, you know, the chief priests, the leaders of the people, and to just be like, come on, guys, like, it's Jesus. Like, just embrace him. But at the same time, I think we have to kind of cut them a little bit of slack because, This is new to them, right? I mean, it's a hard thing to understand. Although at the same time, I guess the argument could be made, well, some of them understand or at least are coming to him. You have people like Nicodemus or Joseph of Arimathea. And then, of course, you have the apostles who are following him and others that are following him. But let's just say for argument's sake, here they are. And Jesus is claiming to be one with his father, to say that phrase, I am. You think back to God revealing his name to Moses in the burning bush. You know, who am I to tell the people that sent me? You know, what is your name? I am who am. I mean, Jesus is using some very strong language here that points to his divinity. And so for them to react in a strong way, I mean, Jesus demands a reaction, all right? And now obviously, 
picking up stones to throw at him, not the correct reaction. But it does show us how dreadfully serious this really is. I say dread for an important reason, or dreadfully, is because this isn't just something like, oh, here's another new teacher on the scene. Somebody that, hey, you can kind of give or take or go with one way or another. No, he doesn't give us that option. As C.S. Lewis put it, Bishop Barron put this this way in his reflection this morning, that Jesus either is who he says he is, the Son of God, you know, the second person of the Most Holy Trinity. He really is the one that we have to take serious and listen to what he said, or he's a lying lunatic. You don't really have anywhere in between. We can't just say, oh, he's a nice teacher, a good teacher in the midst of all the others. No, he is claiming, and we know that his claim is true. Otherwise, this building wouldn't exist. I wouldn't be dressed this way. We wouldn't be doing what we're doing right now. He is the Son of God. He has come to us. Now, I will say, once again, sort of, I don't know, to make this sort of easier, so to speak, to take the way that the people react in the gospel today, it is new in the way that he comes to them, and yet eternal. As I'm going to say in a few moments in the Eucharistic prayer, the new and eternal covenant, eternal, going back from ages to all ages. We see in the first reading today, God's conversation with Abram, who becomes Abraham. God promising to fulfill his word, to live out the covenant. As we said in the responsorial psalm, the Lord remembers his covenant forever. Our Lord promises to bring us in to that inner life of God, to bring us into that eternal peace. He offers us the covenant. And this is the thing that makes it new. He has become one of us. Jesus Christ, fully human and fully divine. All of a sudden, you know, this mysterious covenant to them that goes back to Abraham, right? Uh, That we have the Father interacting with us. All of a sudden, it's broken into the human scene. That Jesus Christ is right there with them, claiming to be, I am. Claiming to be God. Being there with them in their midst. Now, brand new to them. It's hard to react, to know exactly how to react. What do we have? We have 2,000 years of church history. We have the saints who have gone before us. We have all of this that has been handed down to us. And so, just like Scripture, it remains ever ancient, ever new. New and eternal, as I'll say in a few moments in the Eucharistic prayer. And so the question is, how do we react? Do we treat Jesus Christ as the center of our life, as God incarnate, who has come to us, who is that living embodiment of the covenant, who pours his blood out for us, who should be the very center of our life? Or do we treat him like, eh, just a good teacher, just kind of something we do on the peripheries? Now, I would say that as we're together on a Thursday morning, and you're here at daily Mass, albeit virtually, but still, you're probably hopefully leaning right there on that center aspect of knowing that he is in our midst, that he is who he claims to be. But I would say this, just to kind of go back to an example I have from my time in seminary, right? I remember, and I promise I will get to the point, it's tangential, but I'll get there. So we had a professor in seminary, a married man, wonderful, Dr. Perry Cahall, who I bet Joseph will be talking to later because he's his thesis advisor. Dr. Cahall is wonderful, a married man, two wonderful children, lovely wife, and he said to us one day in one of our seminary classes that, you know, we, you know, gentlemen who are studying to be priests, he said, guys, 
you have the harder vocation to discern. We married people have the harder vocation to live, okay? And he said that because in our life as priests, right, we've given ourselves to Jesus Christ. We've given ourselves to, to God incarnate, to the one who says in the gospel today, I am. He is perfect. And when something goes wrong in our relationship, you know what? It's my fault. Jesus Christ is perfect. He's wonderful. When it comes to the marriage relationship, it's two fallen individuals, two fallen human beings coming together. When there are problems, hey, it takes two to tango. Both of you are in this together, right? Hey, sometimes maybe one has more of the blame than the other, but you're two fallen human beings. This is the thing to remember in our life with Christ. As we said in the responsorial psalm, the Lord remembers his covenant forever. He is faithful. He loves us. He continues to give us himself body, blood, soul, and divinity. And even if the circumstances keep us out of the physical doors of the church, he remains faithful. He stays in our midst. As in a few moments, Joseph is going to lead us in the prayer of the spiritual communion. Jesus is there to come into our hearts. He remains with us all the time. The question is, will you keep your end of the bargain? Will you keep the covenant? Will you keep opening up your heart to him? Will you stay close to him always, in love with him, following what he says for you to do? And I don't just mean in a moralistic sort of way, like checking off the boxes and following the list of things we've got to do. Yes. Okay, are those things important? Absolutely. But more than just going through the motions, what does he want? He wants a relationship with you. He wants ultimately to be at the heart of everything that you do. He wants you to come to him like he comes to you, to be right there at the heart of everything. My brothers and sisters in Christ, we are at a, at a new time, right? As I said, the first couple weeks of this were exhausting. It was hard to figure out sort of the new normal and how we get through it. Okay, we're about two and a half weeks in now, at least here in North Carolina, right? We're working through things, we're setting new schedules, this is the question. As you continue to do that, is he at the heart of everything? He who has come to us. He who is God and man, totally human, totally divine, giving us himself totally. The question is, are you opening up a place in your schedule, a place in your heart, a place in your life for him each and every day? The good news is he's totally faithful to us. Will you? Be totally faithful to him. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever.